Nick's dad was a driver. And his dad um, had a lot of like pride and joy in the profession, and he felt like that has slipping for him. Um, and he he wants that back, and he wants that back for himself, and he wants that back for his, for his children. That was the voice of FMCSA Acting Administrator Robin Hutchison during her tour of truck driver and owner constituencies at the Mid-America Trucking Show in Louisville, Kentucky last month. Speaking to a dynamic I have heard from many longtime participants in trucking has followed transportation deregulation in the fall and money to be made in business in some respects. That's not to discount the success, and yes, loads of justifiable pride that remains. Look no farther than the Mid-America Trucking Show and the Paul K. Young Memorial Truck Show. Catch views of some of the winners via overdriveonline.com slash custom hyphen rigs. If that's not evidence of pride, success in trucking, I don't know what is. I'm Todd Dills, and in this edition of Overdrive Radio, we're going to hear more from Acting Administrator Hutchison, who brought up that notion of dwindling pride during the media roundtable she had with reporters from trucking media to answer pre-submitted questions. She went on with her anecdote to explain why she brought it up at all. It came in response to a question about some of the roundtable listening session type meetings she'd been a part of with the DOT broadly and FMCSA specifically to date. Um, and I think that has stuck, I know that that has stuck with this team hearing things like that. Um, and it's a point of reflection for me and that, that when we go and host roundtables, we hear the stories of people and the people who share their stories might be talking about an issue that isn't squarely in the authority, and I say that sort of like in the authority of the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration. But yet we know that um, a driver who is, um, you know, not tired or is well compensated or has all everything going for them is very likely going to be a safer tire out on the road. So we care really about all of it. Yeah, it's meet your regulator day here on Overdrive Radio. I think there's plenty to gain, particularly for those of you in the audience who engage with regulatory processes, to getting to know the FMCSA administrator. There wasn't much in the way of news that emerged from the session, but we're going to hear it in full today regardless. Then, perhaps more importantly, we'll pick up where we left off in the last podcast from my post-Partners in Business seminar discussion at Matt's with a cross-section of owners about business preparation and planning, about cost and revenue strategies, about income, more with owner-operators Rayshawn Lucas and David Nyhart, budding small fleet owner Pete Anderson, and others. On the other side of the break, for a quick word from Overdrive Radio's sponsor, we'll pick up with the voice of FMCSA Public Affairs Lead Martha Threat, who relayed port reporters' questions to the administrator in the session, so stay tuned. FirstGuard provides commercial truck insurance to leased owner-operators done right. As we've done for more than 80 years, we provide physical damage and non-trucking. Many companies make you pay up to six months of insurance premiums up front, but not FirstGuard. We bill monthly, so you get quality insurance without needing to pay a lot of cash up front. Go to FirstGuard.com. That's 1-S-T-Guard.com. FirstGuard. We speak trucker. Let's talk. Martha Three, with FMCSA Public Affairs, followed by Acting Administrator Robin Hutchison. The way this is set up, I asked you guys to send in your questions. We did accept your questions. 
Uh, and for time constraints, we did combine some of the light questions. So we will be combining those together. And also, if you have follow-on questions, feel free to email me or our press shop, and I'll make sure everyone has have those proper emails. So, um, so we can get started. Robin, do you want to kick us off with a little bit of introduction? Yeah, thanks so much, Martha. Martha's done a great job inviting you all in and making sure that we made time here um, in person, which is uh, phenomenal. Really great to be here. Um, so thanks to Martha and Claude and Jack, and we have um, a couple other FNCSA folks with us as well who are here to support the show and to support the trucking industry and to support safety on our roads. And if you get a chance, just make sure you kind of head over and just say hi colloquially. Um, uh, I really am thrilled to be here. I am here on behalf of Secretary Buttigieg, and I don't say that lightly. I say that because he is um, committed to trucking. There isn't a day, a week, maybe even not a day, that goes by that there isn't a direction, assignment, a question, or idea that comes from the secretary and the secretary's office. So I'm here as the acting administrator of the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration, and I'll be here, and I'm also here on behalf of Secretary Buttigieg and his commitment and the Biden Nurse Administration, who is uh, very focused on trucking and safe trucking uh, economies. Um, so, uh, I think I'll, I'll stop there because a couple of folks had questions about me and my background, so I'll hold on that introduction to say thank you so much for being here. I'm very glad we had uh, made this time uh, to, to just share some information and I'll we'll turn it back to you. Okay, great. So, we want to know a little bit, during your tenure as the Director of Public Works for the City of Minneapolis and Transportation Director for Salt Lake City, what was your personal experience with Commerce, with CMV industry, uh, and what have you learned about the industry during your time at DOT and FPCSA, and how are you able to uh, mingle those two experiences to lead the agency today? I've gotten this question uh, quite a bit as I've started this position. I've been in it for a couple of months, um, and you know I've been in transportation for about 25 years comprehensively all modes all over the place. Uh, private sector first, then public sector, Salt Lake City, then City of Minneapolis. And the City of Minneapolis job, Public Works, had the most analogs to the job that we do at FMCSA. I loved that job. I know I, lo I love this job too, but I love that job because in any, in any one week I might be uh, presenting to a city council on policy and, uh, you know, riding along on a bridge inspection or checking out a new fleet purchase that the fleet director made or standing in front of testifying at the state legislature or cleaning a storm drain. I, like it was, it was such variety. And the thing that I liked the most about it, it was about operations in the field. And it was about taking policy and making them work in the field. Uh, that's a good fit. I'm excited to take that kind of skill, to take policy and make it work in the field, both for the 800 field employees at FMCSA, but also for folks who are out there driving and doing the work. Uh, more specifically, oh, we sort of lived and died by how many CDL holders we had. We had a, a Full complement, this is Minneapolis, right? Full complement, 56 plow drivers, and we needed to fill those seats every time it's snowing, and it was not easy to have a full roster. So we started our own apprenticeship program, sent folks to community college, paid for them to get their CDLs, 
hire them back on at more with more pay. Um, and you know we're we're kind of doing that here at FMCSA too, really focusing on CDLs, uh, making sure that folks are trained, making sure that people are successful when they come back with the skills. Uh, so that's those are some of the analogs I can say. Uh, second part of the question, a little bit different. Uh, I had to think about this a little bit. Like, what uh, what what am I learning here? Um, you know, you probably all read my bio. This is this is my first go round in the U.S. federal government. I don't come from the Beltway. I'm not from Washington. Um, I am uh, still learning the the ropes in some ways, and in other ways, I got an amazing crash course in a good way by spending the first year of my work at USDOT in the Office of the Secretary as the Deputy Assistant Secretary for Safety Policy, where I worked on the bipartisan infrastructure law and I worked on the National Roadway Safety Strategy. So I learned pretty quickly that we need more resources. We need more resources to do the critical work that we need to do. And I learned that uh, transportation can be bipartisan and that we can work together for things that really uplift safety. I work primarily on the safety components of the bipartisan infrastructure law. I'll say too, I work really hard on the bridges part too, because as a, you know, being in transportation, public works, a bridges, roads, bridges also really important. Um, and then the National Roadway Safety Strategy, I, I, it's really clear that there's a, there is violent agreement that safety is a priority out on our roadways. And that's a, that's a good thing to be working with when you come into a new position here. Well, you did mention the uh, bipartisan infrastructure law. So a lot of that of that law has given mandates to FMCSA. Uh, two of them being is the Truck Leasing Task Force and the Women of Trucking Advisory Board. Uh, and we want to know, you know, tell us the current status and what will these programs provide? What meaningful recommendations are we looking for? And how will FMCSA select trucking industry representatives uh, to participate on these panels? Yeah, the bipartisan infrastructure law did a lot of things. Um, and it's interesting that, uh, maybe not so much interesting, but there's a tendency to, to go straight to how much money there is. And believe me, we are thrilled with the increase in resources, financial resources we have to do our jobs. And it is significant for FMCSA. It's, you know, in some cases, like a 60% increase in some areas of our work. But that's, that just goes straight out to communities to, to do their jobs. Um, embedded in the bipartisan infrastructure law is a lot of policy, a lot of like pretty interesting policy, and some of that is taxed to us at FMCSA. And so there are two new groups that we are leading the creation of. And just a few weeks ago, the secretary signed the charters for them, which means um, they are officially uh, sanctioned groups that um, can now be convened. We're taking them in order. Um, the first one, we issued a, a press release last week, is the Women of Trucking Advisory Board. That is an open call for participants right now. We are accepting applications to that. We'll do that review sometime after April 8th. In other words, yes, now. Yet, submissions of applications for participation on the Women of Trucking Advisory Board was extended beyond the 8th with a new deadline of April 15th or the very day this podcast was released. 
Acting Administrator Hutchison explained a little more about the new board. Again, required by Congress in the infrastructure bill last year that she spent so much time working on DOT priorities the for in the secretary's office off. last year. It's somewhat prescriptive, the membership of that group. So, you know, we'll have to kind of stay in line with what the legislation has laid out for composition. Um, and I mean, I would look, I would look to, I was like, I probably look I should not say it in front of this big group, but sooner rather than later, we hope to have this group will be up and, up and running. The second group is a task force. It's the truck leasing task force. Um, similarly, it's somewhat prescriptive on the, the membership body. That one, um, um, I think I will move it off. The press release is imminent. The press release is imminent, and I believe it is sitting um, since Matt's, as regular overdrive readers will well know, FMCSA has released that open call for participation in the Truck Leasing Task Force, set to examine equipment lease and lease purchase arrangements around trucking, particularly between motor carriers and prospective equipment owners, and the myriad issues that can arise from those arrangements. Predatory is a common adjective bandied about to describe lease purchases that seem designed to set the operator up to fail to walk away with nothing to show for it in terms of equity in the paid for equipment. I know of several owner operators in the audience who've thrown or are planning to throw their hats into the ring for participation in the task force, all with the experience in such arrangements in their history, some ultimately successful, others clearly designed with no expectation of eventual operator ownership of the equipment. Find more about it at overdriveonline.com, search truck leasing task force. Current deadline for submissions to participate is Friday, May 6th. Very soon, that task force will be assembled just after the Women of Trucking Advisory Board. Um, they're both going to be influential groups. We intend to use them to be a listening ear to issues on the ground and to use experience from people who live these jobs day in and day out to help us guide our work in the future. Um, so we are really looking forward to getting these started. I want to go back to the women of trucking um, and, and speak on that um, a little bit, because at this event, we have a good representation mm -hmm. of women in trucking. And I know recently, uh, Secretary spent some time with a female trucker. Um, what was his experience? Can you talk about that a little bit? Well, the secretary um, is is doing his best. Secretary Buttigieg is doing, um, you know, uh, trips because he's somebody that wants to see it on the ground and wants to beat people and hear the issues and engage. Um, he had a trip to Illinois. It was supposed to be, I have no idea what topic it was going to be on. I don't remember, but, um, you know. Uh, electric vehicles. He, he said, hey, it, do you think... You think we could just, you know, I really want to do this. I want to do this this trip. Um, I want to do a ride along on this trip. Well, I mean, the tr the whole trip became about trucking. We <laughs> felt a little bit bad for the team that was working on it and everything else. Um, but you know, he he spent the morning with um, a woman named Lola. Uh, she drives for a company in Illinois. Lola Thomas Albright is her name. She hauls for Nussbaum Transportation. Did the inspection with her, rode, uh, rode with her to the, the next location. And and there's a great video, it's on YouTube, where they just talk about her life as a trucker, what attracted her into the position, 
why she likes it, what some of her challenges are. Um, she talked about her, her children and her grandchildren. She talked about um, this compared to other careers that she's had. Um, and, you know, that's just, uh, it's like pure gold to hear stories like that, to have your secretary, my boss, to hear the direct story from a woman who is driving in the industry and, and to hear challenges and, and um, opportunities. Uh, why she's so proud to be a driver. Um, so, I mean, that's pretty great too, it's, to have the video of that, and I encourage you to, to take a look at that. Yeah. So, um, the next question is about the Biden-Harris trucking, uh, trucking Action Plan, which uh, created the Driving Good Jobs initiatives. That includes listening sessions. So, the listening sessions, we got feedback on regulatory actions, um, some of the things that the administration could do to support good quality trucking jobs. Uh, other than the South Carolina event is December, did, talk, let's talk about some of the other sessions we've we've had. What came out of those sessions, and what are the plans for future sessions, if at all? Uh, the answer is yes. It, well, first, first let me go back. That South Carolina roundtable I heard about when I was in my last position as the Deputy Assistant Secretary for Safety Policy, because a lot of the safety current concerns were were shared at that round table and it really kicked off a lot of work that I did together with FMCSA from the old position um, and you know I'll say that one of the stories that was shared with me by Kala was of a man who shared his experience that um, you know his dad was a driver and his dad um, had a lot of like pride and joy in the profession and he felt like that has slipping for him um, and he, he wants that back and he wants that back for himself and he wants that back for his, for his children. Um, and I think that has stuck. I know that that has stuck with this team hearing things like that. Um, and it's a point of reflection for me and that, that when we go and host roundtables, we hear the stories of people and the people who share their stories might be talking about an issue that isn't squarely in the authority, and I say that sort of like in the authority of the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration, but yet we know that um, a driver who is, um, you know, not tired or who is well compensated or has all, everything going for them is very likely going to be a safer driver out on the road. So we care really about all of it. Um, so the listening sessions are really invaluable and yes, now I'm getting to the question. Um, yes, there and this one I've got to like look at my notes. There've been there've been a lot. So we did women in trucking, uh, supporting veterans in trucking, supporting diversity and inclusion in trucking, improving safety in trucking. We did a listening session with union drivers, and in all of these uh, topics range from registered apprenticeships. Oh, we have, oh, we did a separate one: registered apprenticeships with trucking carriers. We met with state industry leaders, community groups. Um, on a whole range of topics, including pathways for formerly incarcerated people into the truck, into trucking jobs. Um, so these roundtables are, it's part of this Driving Good Jobs initiative, which has a start and an end. Like if you look it up online, it'll be like, this will finish on this day. But really it's a beginning, because everything that we are hearing and learning, we do a lot of this work together with the Department of Labor, I'll say that too, we're not alone in this. Um, Everything that we're hearing and learning seems more like a start 
on work than it does a close of, of you know, what started these, these roundtables. Um, and we've heard, we have heard a lot. We've heard about safety and security. We've heard about um, detention time and the need, the need to, to be paid for detention time. We heard about court issues. Um, we heard, we have heard about um, barriers to becoming drivers. Um, I, I'm, I know I'm sitting in a room with folks who cover this day in and day out. You can imagine, um, and I'm sure you're hearing many of the same things too as you're traveling around and listening and reading stories. You talk a lot about the secretary um, and his passion for trucking. Um, in recent months, he's, he's always said, and this is something I personally admire also, is the fact that he says truck drivers are essential workers. They, they most definitely are. Uh, he's also mentioned, you know, the problem of detention time and how truck drivers are typically not paid um, during their hours when they're they're having to load and unload. Uh, so, as part of the bipartisan infrastructure law, we're charged. FMCSA is charged with tasked task with two studies, um, and those two studies are truck driver pay and unpaid detention time. So. What should we expect as far as time frame for these? And based on their findings, what would be our follow-up actions as an agency? Or would that be determined by the studies? I'm going to start by talking about the studies themselves and where they are, the status of them. So driver pay and un unpaid detention time are separate studies. We are partnering with external professional research institutions to do these studies. We are writing scopes of work now. Um, I, I will say that good, really good data takes some patience and uh, wish we could snap some fingers and have this data tomorrow, but we're looking at like 18 months. So just to put that out there, you can ask me every month for the next 18 months and I'll work that time back, but it's gonna be you know, minimum 18 months to get good data. And, and we are partnering with research institutions because we want the findings to be defensible and usable should we learn things that require us to either uh, partner with creative partnerships, take action, rulemaking, I don't know. I, I really don't know, but the, the, the base data is what we need to make good decisions about what happens next. Um, so I think our plan, I, I'm, on, I'm I recognize that because these issues are so big for the industry, waiting 18 months can feel like too far away. So I think we're planning to find some milestones where we can report out along the way. Um, we finished this part of a study, what is it telling us? Um, and uh, I think that's gonna help a little bit, create kind of a roadmap for what we do with the data for each of those two separate studies. We, we just recently launched or um, announced the Safe Driver Apprenticeship Pilot Program. It's an under 21 pilot program uh, for truck drivers mandated by the uh, bill or bipartisan infrastructure law, excuse my um, government uh, <laughs> jargon. Uh, but one of the objectives for this program is to attract more drivers into the industry. Uh, and if the results of the pilot show younger drivers are just as safe as other drivers, um, what would be FMCSA's options? Um, and do you want to talk about the program a little bit, the way it's structured and the importance that the program puts on safety and the emphasis on safety? Yeah. 
So the Safe Driver Apprenticeship Program is part of larger work on apprenticeships, and we do that part together with Department of Labor. And it's a specific program written into law. And our job is to make the program as safe as it can be. Um, no, we don't. We don't get to make any choices about the program. We just make it as safe as it can be, and and to do that, we're uh, we, we've been. I've been asked uh, uh, several times about what will happen with the data. In fact, someone in this room asked me. I forgot. Yeah, and I I, mean, I gave you a, a decent answer, but I have a better answer today. Um, I've been asked a few times about when you get the data. If it, what will you do if it shows X Y Z? I have since learned that we're, we're not going to launch the program until we have a data collection methodology really solid and really in place so that when we start the program, we're ready to collect the data immediately and it will be more meaningful. So we won't start this program until late summer at the earliest. When we do, we will have established some motor carrier qualifications that need to be in place. Um, some of them, one will, that, uh, you know, for uh, uh, vehicles and drivers, that there can not be an out-of-service order and that crash rates can't be above the national average, that participants can't have a conditional or unsatisfactory safety rating, that certain vehicle technology requirements need to be in place, like forward-facing video event records, automatic transmissions, um, so we have a number of um, safety measures, two, two main things that we want to be in place before this starts. One, all the safety measures, and two, the plan to collect the data. And tomorrow, if you join us at our 10 o'clock session, uh, we'll, we'll talk a, bit, a little bit about it from FMCSA's perspective a little bit at the 10 o'clock session. You can find video in full of that session via Overdrive's YouTube channel in the Trucking Business Playlist at youtube.com slash overdrivemag. We also launched recently or introduced the entry-level driver training rule. Mm -hmm. So um, what has the initial feedback been um, for the initial training rule? And moving <coughs> forward, how does uh, FMCSA plan to analyze the effectiveness of this rule? Well, we launched this like my second week of work, so I wasn't nervous at all. It was, was not nerve wracking. Um, I would say it's gone pretty well, but let me, I, I, I will say this to, to anyone who chooses to listen or read your publications that we are well aware that when we roll in with new rules and requirements, that there is an adjustment period, and we thank everybody for working in partnership. Um, and I think it's been a good collaboration. This has been something. Um, on the books and works for the better part of 10 years. We feel um, good about its rollout. We had very few issues, hiccups. I asked for daily reports, just tracking any, any hiccups or issues, questions that were coming in, troubleshooting that we needed to do. And as part of those daily reports, um, we, we tracked the increases in training providers and locations for training. And, and they kept going up every day. And there's approximately 10,500 
training providers in 17,000 locations across the country. Now we're still getting feedback about this program. Um, we don't like declare, launch it and declare victory. We launch it and we troubleshoot and we listen and we make needed adjustments as we, as we learn about things that need adjusting. And I think that's the period that we're in. But by and large, um, I, I think we're feeling like this will be an improvement for training. The data sort of said it all that it's only about a 60% pass rate. People who want to come into this industry deserve to be trained well so that they're successful and want to stay in the industry and so that they're safe on the roadway. And I think that people who are interested in this industry, if we really want to recruit and retrain and address some capacity issues, we got to have good training. we got to really train them well. Um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how the data plays out on this. I think we will see some good results, and I think the long term means we'll have better, safer drivers on the road who maybe bring some of the, you know, joy and pride back into driving and are confident and are safe. Going back to something that you worked on with the secretary is the National Roadway Safety Strategy. Um, talk to us a little bit about how that fits into FMCSA in our role because there were very specific modes. And if you guys don't, we refer to our entities in DOT as modes, <laughs> like modes of transportation. So that's another jargon. Um, but yeah, can you talk a little bit about your activity with that? There's almost 40,000 deaths on U.S. roadways every year. It's 38,000 actually. It's 38,700 actually, if you want to be really specific. Um, and I mean, nobody thinks that this is acceptable. There's, this is a problem, when I said violent agreement before, this is a problem that needs solving. Broadly speaking, I'll, I'll come to commercial motor vehicles in a moment, but broadly speaking, you know, the secretary put this as a priority to you know, use his place and position to uplift the problem, to set policy, to list a set of actions that DOT was going to take, and then to call others to action, because it's not a problem that any one entity can solve on their own. So it does just that. National Roadway Safety Strategy, it sets a policy. Policy says that our vision is zero fatalities on US roadways. And a lot of groups have said this, and the US government hadn't said it before. And now we have. So we're sort of like coming up to the state of the practice where we all agree that zero is the right number. Getting there is difficult. Nobody's, nobody thinks this is easy, but everybody thinks it's worthwhile. So second thing it does is, um, it, again, with policy, still on policy, sorry. First thing, policy, zero, and through a safe system approach, which means you have to have overlapping things that you do that are redundant, so you create a system. Second thing it does, creates a set of actions that the DOT will take, and within those actions is where commercial motor vehicles will come in. The, the plan, the strategy, was written by really dedicated career staff who have been working in this industry for a long time, primarily from Federal Highways, from ITSA, and from motor carriers. So I'm in this really great position, and I go back to my experience, and what I like in jobs is that I get to do some policy, and then I get to implement, and do the operational side, and I get to do that now, and take pieces of this National Roadway Safety Strategy and implement. So the parts that we will implement related to commercial motor vehicle is looking at high, um, uh, high crash, um, incidences and addressing those through 
um, you know, equitable and targeted enforcement, uh, the grants that we give to states. Looking at vehicle registries, I just talked to someone here about how you, you really have to watch vehicle registries. So from state to state, that people don't aren't able to have violations be unsafe and transfer their registries somewhere else. That's a main strategy. Um, and uh, I, I really, I think at the heart of it is about safer people and safer drivers. So you'll read a lot in there about creating, um, you know, drivers who are safe on the roadway. Uh, there's like 30, 40 something strategies in there. And I'd encourage you to look at nrss.org and you will see it all. The URL Hutchison noted there's an inactive page actually. Find the full national roadway safety strategy via transportation.gov slash NRSS. But how do we plan on working with federal highways across D and across DOT to work with the truck uh, parking short shortage? Um, you know, what what are our plans? What have we done? Are we listening? You know, can we can we give us a little bit of insight on the truck parking shortage? Sure. Uh, it's like top two, three in issues that we hear about. Letters have gone, let's say, to the top, you know, of the U.S. government highlighting this issue. And it's not something we didn't know before, but we're really feeling the urgency of the situation. Um, we're looking forward to working on this, picking up some of the really great work that the Federal Highway Administration has done and trying to accelerate it. Um, we know we need to work on that. We know this needs to be addressed because when we hear over and over again, I would be a safer driver if I could have a place to rest. Uh, you know, it's kind of up to us to make sure we're focusing on that and doing everything we can to encourage that to happen. Um, so a few things. One, and again, I say this, Federal Highways, it has to be a partner with, with us in this. So we're working very closely with them. And Secretary Buttigieg actually testified about this to Congress um, and, and answered some questions about it right right on the spot with some commitments to, to focus on this. And, and he did a better job than me. I can't remember off the top of my head. He listed all the eligibilities that states have today to use their funds to invest in more truck parking. DOT Secretary Buttigieg referenced all of those eligibilities when he addressed the Truckload Carriers Association's Truckload 2022 conference in March. We've written about many states through the years who've made good on grants from federal dollars in this regard, notably in 2021 with a story about Florida DOT's success utilizing the tools in part enabled by the Jason's Law legislation of a decade ago. Search the truck parking impact of Jason's Law at overdriveonline.com to find that report. Um, so one, looking at what eligibilities, what money there is today that can be used for truck parking and how every state's freight plan should include truck parking, truck parking needs. Um, two, uh, like the National Roadway Safety Strategy, we can't really go this alone. We need to work in partnership. There are opportunities for public and private partnership. There is a coalition that meets and discusses it has been met in 18 months and we reconvene that soon. Um, and then, you know, there is also an opportunity. Third thing is um, FMCSA has grant-making authority, has a fair amount, I think, increased by the bipartisan infrastructure law. Yes, increased by the, thank you, increased by the bipartisan infrastructure law um, uh, for in innovative technology grants. And in some states, I think Kentucky, 
have used to? Yes. No, I shouldn't say it. I'm not sure. Oh yes. Yeah. Okay. So Kentucky is used is an example of where these innovative um, technology grants have been deployed that will help um, drivers find open parking. So um, making sure that states are aware that there's even more than what's in the federal highway eligibility, that there are grants that they can apply for and receive that will help match. Just use whatever technology that might help alleviate the the stresses of having to find parking um, through some innovative technology grants. So we'll be talking about parking. So I'm still waiting on answers to a few follow-up questions I sent over to the FMCSA administrator, having to do with the data queue system and ideas for reform of the appeals processes in the system that we've reported on in the past. Likewise, the notion of the agency being an advocate toward Congress in the area of overtime pay compensation and the Fair Labor Standards Act's long-time exemption in that regard when it comes to over-the-road driver employees of motor carriers. Keep tuned to OverdriveOnline.com for further reporting on those issues. Meantime, let's shift gears here back to the Post Partners in Business Seminar discussion with our own Gary Books, Mike Hostad from ATBS, and three distinct trucking business owners. Hi, I'm David Nyhart. Uh independent uh, business capacity owner with Landstar, been with Landstar 12 years, uh, 20 years in transportation. I'm Pete Anderson, I'm from Georgetown, Texas. Yeah, I'm Ray Sandlutz. I'm a owner operator. Uh, I'm leased under one of my friends who is the motor carrier. And speaking of the lease purchase contracts, Administrator Hutchison touched on via discussion of that truck leasing task force. Georgia headquartered Rayshon Lucas, today owner-operator of a 2016 Kenworth T680 lease to a longtime associate's small fleet, told his own story of chasing lease purchases at business startup. As he notes, such arrangements for new business owners with otherwise shaky credit are often the only option for obtaining equipment in today's world, absent enough cash for outright purchase or huge down payments. From 2014 all the way up until maybe a year or two ago, I was chasing different lease purchase opportunities because I didn't have the upfront capital that I need to, to go out and get a truck outright. My credit score was less than perfect because of student loan conditions that the military was supposed to pay back but didn't, so that they, they got back in default. And so when they're looking at the numbers, they're like, hell, you're not taking care of your uh, responsibilities. Why would we assume the risk based on your credit score and your history? We can't work with you. Rashad, let me ask you this question. Overdrive extra contributor, Gary Books. Have you investigated the uh, small business authority uh, capital opportunities? You, you mean like the MS, yeah, yeah. SBA? Yeah. I have. Um, and the only, the only reason I have not been able to capitalize on the SBA is timing. Nothing other than the timing and circumstance. The, at the time that I was trying to get with the SBA, um, that was when they came up with the PPP loans. They got flooded. They were not set up to handle that influx of people all at one time. So you had they had to go out and uh, lend authority to to other people to accept those business proposals on behalf. And they were getting so many um, issues where the banks were making up their own regulations. They wasn't following the regulations of the government and they were taking care of big clients. And big clients were smart enough to hire uh, lawyers to go in, so I couldn't take advantage. We, we, we did 4,000 PPP loans for our clients, so we did not help the flood. That's the voice of Mike Hosted, Vice President with Owner Operator Business Services Provider ATBS and Overdrive's partner in the Partners of Business series. 
Gary Bucks tells the story in brief in what follows of a client owner operator of his who had some success with SBA financing. The reason I brought it up is I have a client who just secured uh, a small business or, uh, SBA loan for over $50,000 uh, to refinance. Actually, he used it to refinance some credit card debt he's been carrying for a long time, repairing a lease right. fleet truck when he, yeah, <laughs> and no. so he he got he got approved for that mm -hmm. and uh just in the last couple of weeks so i would especially being a veteran because sometimes there there are some there are pigeonhole i would uh encourage you to dig deep and investigate uh and if you need help Ask questions. Maybe there we can help find something. That's my purpose for being here. That's that's what I've been doing. Um, I do a lot of research um, yeah, since then. We're talking about you know things that I've learned over the over the time. It doesn't have a timestamp on it. So I've learned what to do and how to maneuver now. But the reason why I couldn't take advantage of those opportunities was because of timing and procrastination. Because <laughs> I was working. I was too. My my mind was so focused on meeting my numbers a week. Yeah. that I couldn't necessarily take off time. I'm 35 years old, I'll be 36. I've never had a vacation in my yeah. entire life. But I've paid for vacations for, you know, my wife and paid for things of that nature. I've watched kids in college go to spring uh, spring trips and stuff like that, and I can't. Because I know when I come back, all those bills are gonna be sitting there waiting for me, and then they get into that revolving situation that they can't dig themselves out of. Yes, yes. So what I'll tell you, you know, this is a management tactic, but, you know, for managing people, but you can apply it to yourself, too. And and the big deal and, and the big problem is people get caught in the whirlwind of everyday everything. It's a whirlwind and it's just so easy to get lost in it. But when you're managing people or even yourself, you really have to focus and set aside time every day, every week and just do it like clockwork to think about the bigger picture yep. and the big things you need to focus on. Because if you don't set aside the time to do what you need to do, you're, you're never going to get to it. You're just going to be in the world the rest of your life. And it's just a hard place to get out of. And that's why I'm more of a spontaneous person now, because I recognize over the years that if I don't do it now, I'm going to forget about it or another issue is going to come up. Yep. So me being here, I even wagered me being here because I was like, I need to hit my numbers for the week. But I also want to build a business and, and network, so I need to set myself up for the future so I took a hit being here so that I could network and find out things that are going to be beneficial to me down the road. So, but those things that I had issues with, I've learned how to deal with them now. And me being here now is just a, a me formulating a strategy of how I want to go about yeah, getting that's it. That's great. Yep. And, and you're, you're formulating it, but again, make sure you set aside that time to continue working on it. Because if you don't, yeah. I do. all this will be wasted. I do. Uh, Sundays is usually, uh, or the weekends, anytime that I'm, I'm at a, um, a receiver and I have like hours to sit and wait, I'm always daily planning. Even while I'm driving down the road, I'm planning uh, how to make my business more efficient. I'd suggest the idea of an accountability partner. And often right. that's the role I play with people is to hold them accountable. I call up David and say, David. That would be Southwest Ohio-based owner-operator David Nyhart with his 2007 Volvo currently leased on with Landstar. As noted, his ears were likely burning at this point. He was there in the room with us at Matt's. I'll be honest. I called him on his way down here and I said, David, what problem are you going to show? Are you going to solve at the truck show? 
You remember that conversation? I do. The three things. And you, know yes. what, and you know what it did? I, I, I said three things, but I said, what problem are you going to solve? Not try to solve, solve at the truck. And I could tell it went a little bit like this and then stopped. And then I threw in the next part. I said, and you can't spend any money. And that's when I knew it threw him for a loop because it was like, uh, <laughs> but there are, there's a purpose to why, because I, the, the time I spent working with David, there was a reason why I said that. I'm not going to tell him what it is yet. <laughs> so, but an accountability partner, whoever that is in your life, or if you need someone, that's someone you can find who, they're not going to beat you up, right. but they're going to be there to support but be honest with you, and you gotta build that trust. As owner-operator Rayshon Lucas notes in what follows, you can find those accountability partners, though, in all sorts of places, including among your fellow owners and drivers. Accountability is, I have a network of drivers that are more successful than I am. I don't measure success by finance, but they're where I wanna be. Um, they have their own authority. They've been running it like clockwork. They're older than me. And, I, and I, I talk to them, everybody, I'm probably the only person that's like trying to get everything situated. But my mindset of how I want these things, I don't need a mentor. I need people that can uh, point me in the right direction because over the years I've learned my own questions. There's a difference. That is a, yes. that is, that's a difference. Yeah. So, well, Pete, what, what are you, we heard a little bit about where you're at when you go home well, like I said to David, I said, what are you going to solve? You feel like you're solving some problems here? Gary's addressing the question to Pete Anderson here, who in the previous part of this discussion detailed his moves toward going out on his own over the road with a small fleet after years in vocational trucking management. It, it, the trip for me has been kind of an expeditionary thing. I've, I've, been, I've been trying to really soak up information uh, maybe not necessarily solve problems I've identified, but identify problems I may have. Good point. Um, and build those resources, you know, through, you know, meeting people at the show. This small gathering here is, is great. Um, uh, what these guys were talking about, you know, being a number to a, to a big fleet, I, you know, I want to start out with hiring a driver that's, not going to feel like, you know, uh, I'm a fleet owner and I don't have time for them kind of thing. The, you know, the, the, the truck they're going to be in is going to be is the best thing I can provide for them. And my goal is to, you know, um, you know, take care of them. If, they, if they've got a son that's playing football on Friday nights and they want to be home to watch him play, I'll do everything I can to route them back through, through the house on Friday and, you know, they can, they can get their reset starting Friday and so you've got that vision absolutely so when you return home the question is what's next boy I don't know I'm probably uh, sitting down and, and making making probably writing out everything I've got in my head to make sure that I, I get everything covered by um, the the job as I referred to it pretty much to everyone I've spoken to yesterday and today is you know I've I still have a job that, that's paying the bills and I've got a I'm carving out time like like these guys are to do their thing on weekends and, and what have you um, and uh, take that time and, and, and sit down and, and gather my thoughts write everything out 
finish up the business plan, make sure it's good to go. And, and uh, have you got a business plan started in, it write, is. in writing? It is. Okay. Good. Yep. What do we tell you? Is what you're thinking about now, write it down now. Yeah. Because by the time you get home, yeah, yeah, yeah. half yeah, of it will be gone. And I, I'm so sitting you, here without a Forget paper, a procrastinator. <laughs> <laughs> I could have gave you something. And what I coach him is when you write it down, it becomes more real. Oh, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Just like, just like Mike it. said, write, write it down. When I when I, I retired as planned actually a little early because of good financial fortune. Yeah. And I had some operators who were like, well, almost instantly when I shut the key out, they're like, well, you don't know anything anymore. And I'm like, what? You know, I, I didn't understand that. And I wasn't one who said, I'm shutting the key off and I'm moving to an island somewhere. Um, I did a lot of mentoring, a lot of help with people and I'm, I'm into volunteering. So I, that's why I started what I did partially. And when I stepped back away from the actual day-to-day driving, managing, you know, doing that far enough, it's like all of a sudden you could see the panoramic. You could see things, and I mentioned earlier, I think, to Todd, I'm like, yeah, it feels like, man, now I got it all figured out, and it's time to quit. (laughs) But that's part of, and I'm not saying that when I discuss an idea that that is the answer, but if it stimulates you to find a better answer or solution, yeah, yeah. to me, that is what can be gained. Yeah. And and I'm not the kind of person that, you know, like, this is the only way you got it. You got to do it 100%, whatever, because everyone is so different and that's part of what we talked about when i started the customization of the help because where you live your personal your family your um things like you're a veteran were you a veteran by chance? i was not okay mike you know thank you for your service so david you weren't a veteran no but but you know there's other special needs there for everybody in short yes There's no 100% correct way to accomplish anything. Finding your own business goals and your own processes and partners to make them happen is, when you're in business for yourself, pretty much up to you. Speaking of which, at this point in the talk, I pivoted back over to owner-operator David Nyhart to ask about those problems to solve at Matt's that Gary mentioned earlier. And I said, David, what problem are you going to solve at the drug shop? And... When you can't spend any money. Owner operator Nyhart had made a short list of three, which he spelled out his progress on for us there the second full day of Matt's with one day to go. Yeah, yeah, I was going to focus <laughs> on uh, spending time with my carrier, networking, uh, attending the safety meeting, uh, get the value added there, work on my relationships, uh, the relationships that I've already built over the years, make, make contact with the friends. Um, I wanted to meet a bunch of people that I knew on Facebook only, right, actually right. seek them out in the flesh, shake their hand, make, make the connection, the, yep. the eye contact, and uh, get to know them better, and then uh, solve my, bit, my number one issue in the industry, which has been pretty much the same thing for the last decade, has been maintenance. Just uh, just getting a better handle on maintenance in in my personal business and in, in my operation. And like Gary was talking about, I've been trying to be proactive, not reactive my entire career with the maintenance because I, I, 
I come from a very mechanical background, bit of a gearhead, born born and raised in Southern California, the birthplace of hot rodding. But right. so I understand it, but I, I'm always struggling with finding the service provider that is willing to go above and beyond and do all the processes and procedures that I want done on my equipment versus just doing the slam efficient in and out the door that they, they want to they want to turn you like a number and maximize the revenue whereas i really need a little bit more personal service and my equipment i i haul a lot of hazardous materials so maintenance you know i'm i'm averaging one dot random inspection a month for the four, last four months straight literally i, I i've been pulled over lit up uh for a road for a roadside (laughs) lit up for a roadside i i've been pulled around back three times and you know that there's nothing on my equipment that that would visually you know detract or indicate that i yeah because i yeah yeah i I run around with a flammable bullseye on the side of the trailer all the time (laughs) have you made progress on on maintenance in terms of in terms of uh, leads on service providers and or just discussions about it or learning more about certain particular problems? Yeah, yeah, I've uh, I, I've been able to visit a lot of the solution providers that I've been utilizing and, and working on that relationship and actually looking at, at becoming a possible dealer for, for a couple of product lines. Wow. Yeah, so. I would say this about, I mentioned find that home shop so that you can schedule that during your scheduled time off so it doesn't have that lost opportunity cost because that's so expensive. And you can't get the relationship developed with just one or two visits with your truck. You you wanna go into that um, service manager and you wanna talk to them about, hey, these are gonna be my needs. You know, are you interested in working together? And then actually allow them to do what you might think are kind of trivial things or you'll think you're saving money like, hey, I'm going to drop it off. You've got a key. You put it in the shop. I want you to grease it, double check if there's a brake adjustment, if there's something else. I, I would tell my shop, you see it, you fix it. And not worry. And I trusted them enough. And when they're invested in you like that, they are actually in the long run going to take better care of you. People think, oh, they'll take advantage of you. They know, and they know that if they do that, you will be gone. You will not be that trusted customer. You'll you'll lose each other. But when when you have an influx of um, people that need repairs, sometimes that argument falls on deaf ears because they don't care. Well, go go elsewhere because somebody is waiting to fill your slot. When you build the relationship. I, I've actually, so for example, um, the shop I use, I had an injector go out and I called them, it was like NASCAR. I mean, I pulled in, they they were pulling it out. I want to have some good canned audio of one of those high-speed ratchets at the racetrack, eh? For plenty of detailed advice and ideas in so many owner-operator business areas, you can download the updated 2022 edition of the Overdrive ATBS Partners in Business Manual via overdriveonline.com slash PIB. Find plenty of Gary Buck's writing via that page as well. Visit the tax specialists and biz consultants of ATBS via atbs.com. Here's a big thanks to owner-operators Lucas and Nyhart and Pete Anderson as well for the time. 
If you missed part one of the talk, catch it in the feed wherever you get your podcasts or visit overdriveonline.com slash overdrive hyphen radio. Overdrive Radio is a production of Overdrive, the voice of the American trumpet. It's edited and produced by me, Todd Dills, with acoustic guitar and other additional support from Overdrive extra contributing writer and trumpet songwriter, Long Haul Paul Marhover. The podcast is backed up further by Overdrive news editor, Matt Cole, social media coordinator, Holly Young, and executive editor, Alex Lockie. Until next time, keep it proactive.